0: Welcome to Indie Insider, presented by Blackshell Media. This is the weekly show where we talk with video game developers and professionals about their stories, their advice for others, and their thoughts on the indie video game industry. I'm Logan Schultz, and on today's show, I sit down and talk with Dan Butchko, the CEO of PlayCrafting. Playcrafting is an organization providing in person classes, courses, and events for both aspiring and established game developers. We talk at length about Playcrafting's upcoming New York gaming convention, Play NYC, as well as the art of managing a community, the future of conventions in the industry, and how Dan leads his for profit company with a non profit mindset. As always, if you have thoughts, questions, or ideas on what we should do next, shoot me an email at logan at blackshellmedia.com. You can also find the most up-to-date news on the Indie Insider podcast on Twitter by following at Logan A. Schultz. And now, the CEO of Playcrafting, Dan Butchko. Welcome to another episode of Indie Insider. I'm Logan Schultz, and today I'm talking with the CEO of Playcrafting, Dan Butchko. Dan, how's it going, man?
1: It's going really well. Uh, Just coming out of the weekend, so excited for the week ahead, and got lots going
0: on. You say you got a lots going on. What yeah. does a week look like for the CEO of PlayCrafting?
1: Uh, up until a couple of weeks ago, uh, or about a month ago, it was uh, purely focused on uh, just all things PlayCrafting day-to-day in terms of our education and our events, etc. Um, finally, we brought on a new person in uh, New York, so he's sort of taken on uh, all the day-to-day stuff for our northeast branches, but now we have this big games convention coming up. So now I've basically committed myself to working six and a half days a week because it's just <laughs> what's got to happen. You know, we're launching a games convention for the first time, and you got to talk to a thousand people so that all the right people are
0: there. You know, right? Absolutely. Well, let's give a little bit of context for those who who maybe don't know or aren't familiar. What is play? Sure. So
1: PlayCrafting is a, an organization uh, based in the community that is uh, very much an education provider. So we are training people on how to make games. Uh, so, you know, our main goal uh, as a company is to help change gamers into game developers and show them that uh, it's really easy to get started making games uh, so you don't have to just play them, you can also make them yourself. Uh, and then for people that are actively making games, we want to give them the tools to be successful at doing so. So the, uh, ed- on the educational side, we're doing everything from software training on things like Unity and Unreal and different VR platforms, um, all the way to uh, more, like, broader scope things like uh, adventure game design, RPG design, multiplayer game design. That kind of stuff and then we also do more outside the box stuff like voice acting for games and marketing crowdfunding uh, etc and we partner up with a lot of really cool companies that share our mission of just getting as many people making games as possible uh, to help deliver that education across a few cities in the U.S. Uh, and on top of that we have a number of our own events that we've been doing since the beginning uh, and those are open for you know, gamers and developers from all over the place. You don't have to have learned through play crafting or taught through play crafting to uh, show off your games. We're all about community and we just want to see as many people making games as possible.
0: That's fantastic. I really admire uh, the intention of of what play crafting is and what you guys are doing. Obviously, you know, we have the Indie insider podcast. That's our little way of, you know, sharing education and stories and advice with, you know, aspiring developers and, and people out there who are interested in making games but your entire company is built around, I guess, you know, educating and creating the next generation, the next video game makers. I mean, that's fantastic.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. And, you know, we started out just as a a small community in New York only and uh, really built the organization around this community that had gotten to a point where we were about 5,000 strong. So a lot of uh, companies in the service of developers start out by building the company and then try to build a community around it. And what's cool about us, I think, is that we really started with the community and have built the company around the community. So, um, you know, with all of our classes and our courses, et cetera, those aren't run by full time play crafting employees. Those are run by active, independent developers that are local. Uh, that are making games, releasing games. So not only are you getting a hands-on, in-person education, but you're also helping to contribute to the uh, local game development scene and economy yourself. So it's sort of this, uh, this really cool self-feeding system that we've set up here, where uh, both organizationally and community-wise, everybody benefits as we grow.
0: Well, Dan, tell me a little bit about you and how you got connected with playcrafting in the first place. And you end up being the CEO of this, this community-based company.
1: Sure, sure. So I have a very sort of zigzag path in terms of my, <laughs> my career. Uh, I actually studied social work and psychology when I was in school at NYU. Um, and then once I graduated, it became pretty clear that you know I, don't, I did not feel like I was cut out to be doing direct service social work. Um, it was really tough for me to not bring that home with me, uh, but I did wind up working for a nonprofit for the first six years out of school, just doing events and uh, their creative direction, really fundraising for a great cause. Uh, but I realized at the end of that six-year period that I had gotten to a point where, uh, you know, it was very easy for me to do the minimum effort possible for the maximum input uh, (laughs) for the, yeah, for the maximum output. Uh, So um, I realized that I was spending all my time, all my free time uh, reading about games, obviously playing games, because I've been a passionate gamer since I was a kid, but getting more and more excited about games as an industry and as a potential career path. Um, So I went to GDC in 2012, and that's when my mind kind of, fully opened up because I I suddenly saw, wow, there's all these different people that are like-minded, just like me, super passionate about games that are building careers off of them. So um, having seen that, I, uh, oh, and and what I like to tell people too is that one of the real indicators to me that I had to work in games was that I sat down one afternoon at that old job after I had, like, like I said, finished eight hours of work in two hours um and made an exhaustive list of every single game i've ever played in my life um, i ranked them i it, it basically is now my like games bible that i still have to this day <laughs> and i realized if i'm sitting there and like that's what i'm running to escape uh my like current work life from then maybe that's what i should make into a career and just work in games um so yeah i went to uh gdc my mind really kind of opened up as a result. I quit that job. I started my own graphic design company as sort of an interim until my next full-time gig. Uh, told myself I wouldn't work full-time again until I worked in games. Uh, so I joined some meetup groups in New York. I volunteered with uh, Games for Change, great organization based in New York all yeah. around social impact. Uh, and it just so happened that Uh, One of the folks that I met at the meetup group, at one of the meetup groups I was in, had this group together and wanted to turn into a fully fledged company. So uh, that's where PlayCrafting was born. And we really just built the company around that community. And now it's been um, a little over three years since I came on board and we fully launched PlayCrafting. And now we're at about 25,000 strong in terms of our network in the US. and that's gamers and developers. We like to call we like to call gamers aspiring developers because we, <laughs> you know, we like to pass that message along that it, it is really easy and accessible to get started making games if you want to.
0: That's such an important uh, point to make, I think, and that's something that we talk about a lot on this show as well. Is, you know, how easy and accessible is it? Because it, when you look at it, kind of from the outside, from maybe that gamer or aspiring developer perspective it can seem very daunting and you don't even know where to start. Um, right. how, do you, how do you address people's concerns and, and that kind of mindset?
1: Well, on one hand, you have to look at costs. So um, now we're at a point where Unreal, Unity, which are the two biggest and most popular uh, game engines for cre- game creation, are both free uh there's personal use licenses for both of them that you can get for free Mm -hmm. um so on the cost side if you have a laptop you can get that you know you can get the engine you can start tooling around there's a lot of different communities that you can join online um and what i like to you know really get out there is that games as a career you know if you want to go uh work at a larger studio if you want to make your own games this is not like, we're not doing brain surgery here. This isn't the kind of thing that you need a multi-year, tens of thousands of dollars uh, career, uh, sorry, degree to actually start going. Um, in the end, what matters is that you've made games, that you have uh, really started to hone your craft and that you've taken that initiative. So that's really what's at the core of what we're doing with playcrafting is we've really lowered the barrier for entry for people to start learning how to make games too. Um, all of our education is in person, so there's a lot of folks that have tried the online tutorials and tried the forums, etc., and they hit a wall, and because they can't get an immediate answer and there's not someone there in person with them, they wind up never trying again. And that's super discouraging, and that's the kind of story that we hate to hear. So offering an affordable, accessible, in-person solution um that is not a multi-year tens of thousands of dollar commitment uh like a you know a fully scaled program is um really to us you know we've seen as the solution um i I like to say that anybody can make games you can make you can make a game right now if you if you never have you can go to one of the tutorials online you can come to one of our one night classes um, but it does take a while to be able to make good games. So there's no, you know, making games uh, is easy, I would say, but making good games is hard. And um, I think the best piece of advice on the game creation side that I can give is, you you know, game creation is an iterative iterative process. So you have to make tons and tons of games, probably, you know, many broken bad games before you start, Uh, connecting and making uh, things that are fully functional and start, you know, getting more appeal to people around you. Um, And as you know, even within each of those games that you're making, it's because it is an iterative process. You need to get used to the fact that, you know, it's going to crash over and over and over again. And all that is is uh, a way for you to continually refine the game and don't get discouraged by it breaking or by, You know, some playtesters giving negative feedback. Let that fuel your drive to make a game that is fully functional and people have fun playing. Um, And also collaborate because there's so many people out there that are trying to get started making games too. And we've seen so many uh, like small studios form out of our courses and classes. And that's exactly what the spirit of this is. It's all about collaboration and sort of getting over to the ego of, you know, you're not going to make call of duty alone in five minutes on your first try. <laughs>
0: <laughs> sure. And, and keeping on the uh, theme of collaboration, one thing that you keep saying over and over is that playcrafting is built around the community. Go in depth with that a little bit. What does that really mean that there's a community? How serious is that community?
1: Sure. Sure. So, uh, we started in New York originally as a meetup group that was just doing events. Um, And we were doing like demo nights that were primarily developer to developer uh, for a couple of years and um, Eventually those events just got to a size and a scale where developers were showing off games that were already finished so that you know they didn't want to just get playtesting in but they wanted to promote it and ultimately sell it and uh, Find investors and all that kind of stuff. So that's like the community that we initially built the company around um and then everything that we do is really in the service of developers uh you know even now so uh we do things like uh we get booth space at events like PAX uh and use it as a way to bring in a number of developers that may not have been able to afford uh you know showing their games on like the grand stage of of PAX alone um Any time in our community when there is a uh, a new game that's coming out from a student or an instructor or um, Someone that's shown at one of our events. We love to tell those stories Um, And so there's a number of like student spotlights instructor spotlights community uh, Announcements on our website and all over our social media, etc. Because we have this belief that you know, it's, it's that old adage of uh, a rising tide lifts all boats. So um, this is all in the spirit of collaboration. And let's say, you know, there's a I'll use the example of one of our VR instructors. When we first launched our eight week VR course a couple of years ago, um, our instructor was releasing one of the first uh, Oculus Gear VR games. And that was right within like three, four months of the first course coming up. So that's a great story for us to tell. We went ahead and we made sure we blasted all of our press contacts and everybody in our community across the US, letting them know that this game was coming out, that it was just featured on kill screen, that uh, it was going to be at GDC, etc. And that there's this great course. So there's a discovery aspect to it where gamers can meet these developers and play their games. That they may never have heard of before um and then they can they can meet them at the events uh they can take a class or a course with them and then six months down the line they could be showing their own games at events and we've seen this like just this cycle go on and on and on where someone comes through yeah they play a game from a developer uh they learn from that developer they show off a game at an event and then within six months to a year even, sometimes they're also now instructors doing the same thing for new students. So it's just this incredible system that's all-inclusive. Uh, it's uh, open to people of all different backgrounds. We've had, because we're not doing like a, a, a four-year full-time program, we've had uh, Unity courses, for example, that will have a Uh, 17-year-old like freshman year of college student right next to a 60-year-old who's never touched Unity in their lives. So that's the kind of thing we love to see um, because there is a little bit of a feeling that I've seen in the like before we started play crafting where you know especially on the indie side it's kind of like there's been indie events and uh, educational content etc. that's very much targeted by indies for indies but what about people that want to become an indie you know Um, there should be an atmosphere of uh, welcoming Um, and you know for us as a community and as even a startup company we want to make sure that we're not just reaching people that know what uh what remains of edith finch is we want to reach people that are playing candy crush saga on the subway and don't consider themselves gamers but they really are gamers and they can learn how to make their own version of candy crush saga um, so it's all about sort of growing the community and keeping that system into place so that the barrier for entry is as low as possible and you can use uh playcraftings classes and events to you know get the word out there about your game, promote it, sell it, make connections get get educated et cetera
0: so when you are you know signing up to take a class you know you're you're paying a bit of money, you're taking this course, but you're also buying into the community of PlayCrafting as well, which I think is really cool.
1: Right, right. You know, we, we love, like I said, we love showing off student games. Uh, so anytime we announce a new course, we're always highlighting uh, previous students that have taken that course uh, and showing off their projects. So if you look at playcrafting.com in our community section, there's a ton of spotlights on all these different games that students have made, Um, and you know, like some of them are more rudimentary than others and we want to make sure that we're, we're being realistic with people when they're potentially learning how to make games through us, because you do have to start by making like a circle that moves from the left to the right. It's not going to be Call of Duty right away, you know? Um, so being realistic about it, but also showing how quickly someone can go from never having made a game in their lives to making in the case of our courses, four games in eight weeks.
0: Before we move away from the idea of community, I have a question for you. Sure. And it's about community management. So, you know, you say you're 25,000 strong at this point. I mean, you've, you've really built this, you know, massive base of people who have, you know, taken classes, are instructing each other and are all, you know, working together. How do you manage that community? And I, I, Say that knowing fully well that once you get a large group of people interacting with each other in some capacity that some negativity has to come through, right? I mean, it's... uh, Playcrafting seems like it's an organization and company built around the idea of um, supporting each other, which is fantastic. But how do you... How do you um, massage negativity intentions within the playcrafting community?
1: Sure. So, um, you know... I think because of the model of how our organization is even set up, Mm -hmm. uh, it's not, you know, given that we don't have, um, you know, let's say 25 full-time playcrafting instructors who are our, uh, like, acting as the instructors for these classes and courses, the success of the classes and courses themselves, even from a financial perspective, is directly tied into the success of the developers themselves. So um, we make sure that on the feedback side, there are feedback forms for everything. Um, We make sure that because there is a, you know, all of our events and our classes and courses are in person, that there's a code of conduct in place. So um, what I like to do is I make sure, you know, nobody wants to feel policed and we are all adults. (laughs) <laughs> um, so we do have a code of conduct in place that we we worked with a couple of organizations to put together. Um, no one has ever broken it, <laughs> which has been <laughs> awesome and, and definitely encouraging. Um, I think that any from a community management standpoint, any negativity has come up, it's been on one hand, you know, we are technically a for profit company and we are built around community. So there is some massaging, as you said, that has to happen there. Um, but because, like I said, because we're not, I'm not employing, you know, a ton of uh, playcrafting employees, I'm uh, contracting out like hundreds of developers for these classes and courses. If someone has a problem with a class or course, on one hand, we take it as a uh, as a way to improve on that class and course. And on the other hand, you know, it, it's not play crafting. I'm not sitting in a room devising, you know, how to put courses together on my own. I'm working with these instructors who are local developers to actually build the content too, because this is all supposed to be in the service of the community. And if if we were to be sitting in our ivory tower, if there was one, (laughs) if you were supposed to be sitting in an ivory tower, like coming up with, um with educational content and for events, uh, that we thought would resonate without ever talking to the community, then the whole thing would tank. So, um, having, uh, feedback uh, as part of every step of the way, and also frankly, having transparency at every step of the way. Um, I make it very clear that, you know, any, any income that we make, I then reinvest into the company and I reinvest into the community. So, um, this Play NYC Games Convention that we're planning for August in New York, um, I consider that an investment into the community, and it's the first time we've ever done it. Um, all of our play crafting events to date have fortunately been free for developers to show. Um, I knew that going in. I wanted to make sure that you know it's important that the community is coming through for this event, and it's in service of the community at the same time also not tanking the startup because it's super ex- expensive to put on. <laughs> right. <laughs> so my solution was, you know, it's the first year we're doing this. We want to make sure everybody knows what's going on, why we're charging, how we're charging. My solution has been to be on the phone all day, every day with everyone who's indicated interest in showing their games. It's super, super exhausting, but it's, it's what has to be done. So I'm not like just... Blankly sending out to everybody that's interested all the forms and the overview and the photos and all that I'm on the phone going through with every developer who's interested Every step of the event the floor plan how everything's laid out how everything's working taking their questions um, And being completely open about the fact that this is the first time we're doing this and we want to hear their feedback all along the way because our goal with this as has been our goal with all regular play crafting things is to have it really grow in the years to come and be a staple of the industry. So that transparency and that in-person, on-the-phone connection has been really the glue that has held the entire community together um, from a public-facing perspective in terms of the events and education being only in person um, to a back-end perspective where, you know, we're constantly in communication with uh, community members on all levels in person and on the phone, et cetera, um, to make sure that their voices are being heard, to make sure that we're being, you know, that we're building everything with them in mind, Um, because we would be nothing without the developers in our community. We would never have been able to start this company without them. So um, we want them to grow with us and we want us to grow with them. So it's just this great mutually beneficial relationship that protecting the community all along the way with transparency and communication has been the key.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, Dan, we talked a bit about your background with nonprofits and uh, service based organizations. And as somebody who comes from a nonprofit management background, you you know, you mentioned that uh, playcrafting is a for profit organization, but it's very clear to me that you operate it with a nonprofit mindset just that right. kind of, you know, that giving back idea, that collaborative idea, um, that community aspect as well. So that's really fascinating to me in, in your approach there. And and it seems like a positive one.
1: Yeah, and you know, it, it kind of, um, what I like about it is, you know, that is completely my approach. And what I like about it is that I, I see that approach going through to even our, you know, events and educational content. Um, we like to show to indies that um, that trying to make money on your games is not a bad thing. You know, you don't have to, words like monetization and marketing don't have to be scary or sound gross. You can use them to help build your studio as uh, a, a business. You can use them to help grow your own community of fans and gamers and enthusiasts. Um, so i I like the fact that i have a social work background and that's where i come from because in the end for profit or non-profit everything is about people everything is about connection and um i look at uh i look at you know running play crafting and working with these communities as um the same way that i i would have if i was doing direct you know service work with clients it's all about empowerment of the client in those settings. And I look at this as empowerment of the community and, um, you know, running a financially and logistically sound company, uh, but also a a transparent and inclusive community at the same time, they don't have to be mutually exclusive. Um, And, you know, we make tons of mistakes along the way. I make (laughs) 7,500 mistakes a week. So, Um, The best piece of advice I ever got from one of my former mentors was that the two best things you can say all the time are thank you and I'm sorry. So I find myself saying thank you and I'm sorry about 25 times a week um, because, you know, we do, you know, we are still a relatively young startup, a pretty small team. Mistakes happen all the time. Uh, So we just make sure that we learn from them. That uh, we get on the phone, we hear from people if they have a question or concern, um, and that we're treating everyone fairly and in a transparent way. Um, so, yeah, that message of uh, you know, being for profit but having a nonprofit feel um, is exactly what I want Playcrafting as an organization and as um, a collection of communities to make sure it is coming through.
0: Well, it seems like it's working because play crafting, you know, as you've mentioned, has just grown exponentially over the last few years. And so congratulations on that. Um, so I want to hear about this convention that you guys are putting together because that's what you do when your company gets bigger. You have larger events and this sounds like uh, a huge one for you. Tell me a little bit about it.
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, so for the past few years uh, across New York San Francisco and Boston, uh, and a couple of times in uh, LA and Seattle as well. We've been doing these uh, seasonal, so quarterly, expos. Um, they've been local, um, just a way for developers to come out and show their games to the community. Uh, New York is our oldest branch and our biggest community, so those uh, expos are now at 125 to 150 games strong. And we've had as many as 1200 people come through. Uh, And that's been without, you know, we've been hosting them out of the Microsoft office in Times Square. They are a huge partner of ours and really baked into the fabric of our Playcrafting community and who we are and what we do. Um, We've been hosting those out of there for a number of years now. And um, it is more of a, like an office slash educational kind of setting. Um, We've gotten to that size of event without really any advertising or marketing or inviting press, it's just grown and grown and grown. Um, So that was an indicator to us that, you know, New York really needs its own dedicated games convention. Uh, You know, Boston has PAX East, Uh, there's so many different things that are happening in Seattle and LA and San Francisco um there are a number of uh games included events in new york like new york comic-con for example um but there's not a dedicated games convention that is uh purely public facing and uh the fact that our expos got to where they are without us really investing in them uh financially or um logistically uh really was an indicator to us that this is what new york needs so uh, we decided to build and play NYC from the ground up, again, in the service of developers. Uh, we knew that having it in Manhattan was extremely important. Um, it makes it a lot more expensive, but it, uh, <laughs> it, it, it's a, it was really important to us because a lot of times there will be some, uh, some local game events that will happen outside of Manhattan. Um, and it's, it's harder for people to get to if they're coming down from Boston or up from D.C. or over from Philly. And we've had folks come in from those places for just our regular playcrafting expos, which are on a weeknight for three hours. So um, we wanted to make sure it was accessible. We're having it at Terminal Five, which is a uh, pretty legendary concert venue in Manhattan. Okay. Uh, it's three floors uh, and a rooftop. Uh, we're expecting about five thousand attendees throughout the weekend. Wow. Uh, over over a hundred games. And we wanted to make sure that we are adding value for developers and for games press that are coming by without diluting that purely public facing expo. So we also have talks and panels that are only open to um, developers, press, and exhibitors. Um, So that was our, you know, this was our solution to that problem of New York doesn't have a games convention. So it's our way of growing out what we've been doing with Um, the expos and you know it it was a even though it's been based on what we've been doing it is a little bit of a leap of faith and um, I've just been so encouraged by all the uh, press response we've gotten so far and more importantly the developer response Um, that's why I'm in those calls constantly all day long um, with people that are interested in showing at the event uh, and if they're not able to show at the event, then we want them to come because uh, something like this hasn't really happened before in New York. Uh, and it's, it's important that we use this as an opportunity to lift up the developers in all of our communities and some folks that are coming out uh, from outside the country and uh, from other cities that, are, that we're not in on the ground. Um, But also to help put New York and the surrounding cities and areas on the map for their super passionate and talented uh, community of developers. Um, That's what this is. It's a platform for those developers uh, and a way for local gamers to just all get together in the summer in Manhattan for a really cool event that we're just super, super excited for.
0: Well, Dan if people are super excited about this conference idea, like I am uh, this convention idea like I am um, and they want to get involved or they want to attend or they want to keep their eyes open for the next one. Hopefully there will be one. Um, how, how do they go about doing that?
1: Sure. So you can visit play-nyc.com. Uh, that's the website for uh, the, de- the play NYC convention coming up in August. Um, And then if you wanted to learn how to make games yourself or be a part of our regular community uh, in New York, Boston, San Francisco, L.A., or Seattle, check out playcrafting.com. We're not just one convention a year with PlayNYC. We are something like 200 classes and courses a year and probably about 50 or 60 events per year in the U.S. Um, Great way to meet people in person. Great way to... Start learning how to make games without breaking the bank or committing all of your free time. Um, so, definitely check those out. Play NYC is coming up in August. Uh, there are general admission tickets if you just want to come by for a day or for both days. There are Dev and Pro passes, which are giving access for the talks and panels that I mentioned. Um, it's just going to be a really, really fun weekend, uh, and we'd love to have you there.
0: So, Dan. Uh play crafting has continued to grow, um, you know, as, as we've mentioned multiple times now. And I'm looking over your website now. I'm seeing that, you know, you offer long term classes, you know, four and eight week long classes. You also offer uh, one off sessions that are just for a couple hours. And those actually run uh, pretty cheap. I mean, that that's a pretty easy way to get your foot in the door, right?
1: Right. Yeah. So we, you know, we differentiate them as class and course. So the okay. classes are the shorter form one or two night uh, educational experiences and then uh, courses for us are four to eight weeks Um, and those are you know everything that we do everything that's listed on there right now it's at night Um, it's usually between 6 and 9 pm so the sessions of the courses are at night those individual classes are at night Um, we want to make sure that people that are working full-time are in school full-time are freelancing all over the place, uh, are able to get out there uh, and join us. Um, So having everything during the day, it didn't make sense to do it on that end. Um, But the classes versus the courses. uh, Courses for us are really focused on actively making games from the ground up. So we do uh, Learn Unity in eight weeks, Learn Unreal Engine in eight weeks. Uh, There's one we just posted that's Learn VR in eight weeks that I mentioned before. We've done game writing primers, where you're building nar- a narrative game uh, with a Grammy-nominated uh, games writer. Uh, we've even done like some more outside-the-box longer form courses, uh, like an intro to games journalism with uh, Brian Crescenti, who's the founding editor of Polygon. Uh, that one just wrapped a couple weeks ago, and was really cool. Um, we had some of the students in that class write, uh, sorry, in that course, we had them write uh, some posts and whatnot and, uh, to get their, their news writing chops going. And those are posted on our website. Uh, the classes are ways for us to test out, um, you know, what topics are more, uh, needed and popular in the community. So like what might need to be turned into a longer form course, that's where the game writing one came from. We were doing those classes with Sandy Chen. Uh, they were called game writing portfolio workouts. Uh, We did like one or two of them every quarter for I think two and a half years and they were just growing and growing. So it was clear that the community really needed uh, a multi-week course on it. Um, But that's also where we do things that are um, more outside the box and are um, that perhaps don't need a multi-week course. uh, And and also where we bring in partners like Microsoft and Kickstarter um, and Pollen on the mobile side to come in and do um, free classes as well. Um, those are, again, one-nighters. So uh wanted to make sure that we're giving an all-inclusive uh, education and offering, like, really the full slate of every possible topic through the classes and courses without requiring some kind of paid membership or paid long-term enrollment. Everything you know should be a la carte and ad hoc, uh, and we want to keep it that way.
0: For sure, and i I appreciate so much your constant ability to um, reassess where you're at, reassess you know what's working and what's not, and continuing to utilize that feedback to uh, grow your company and grow your offerings. Um, I think that's one of the most important things for any successful organization or company or studio is just to constantly be reevaluating what's working, what's not and and growing forward from there,
1: yeah, definitely. And and one thing I was going to say, too, is as we've grown and grown, I've found that one of the biggest challenges is to make sure that that transparency and uh, the attention to the community is scaling with us. So um, as we're growing and growing and going to new cities and as I've even hired new staff members, wanting to always make sure that that is scaling with it and not being lost or diluted along the way.
0: For sure. So one thing that I wanted to talk to you about, and you, you touched on this just a little bit, um, was the idea that all of your offerings, all of your courses and classes are all in person. So, you know, you mentioned there's a lot of, you know, online tutorials and, you know, online classes that people can take and sign up for. Um, so I was curious as to how play crafting really differentiates, but it sounds like that in person approach is really your number one differentiating factor, Right.
1: Yeah, 100 percent. And on top of that, uh, not, you know, the fact that we're here in each of these cities with both education and events, I think is a a differentiator, too, because um, it it really provides a platform to show off games that you're learning how to make in the courses and in the classes. Uh, We do an award ceremony at the end of the year each year um those that has gotten to be pretty big and we'll have the third annual one this year uh we brought in ted price the uh the founder and ceo of insomniac games the guys uh, who did ratchet and clank and are doing the new spider-man game for ps4 etc right, um he was one of our honorees at uh the awards that we did last december um i like that we focus on you know bringing in some you know big wigs and some uh, well-known companies and developers in the industry and at the same time are lifting up uh, local independent developers. And the, you know, the awards are one example of that, but all of this is in the service of um, you know, helping elevate students to not just learn from us uh, in a class or course, but to be successful And to really, you know, have a place to go and things to do and a platform to use as soon as the class or course is over. Because for some folks, they'll just take one class with us or one course and then use the community. And that's totally fine. Uh, You know, they'll use the community to make connections and get the word out there and sell their games, etc. And I also think that, you know, at the same time, we're offering a lot of free events and some free classes, et cetera, along the way. Um, to really further bolster the bolster and grow the communities that we have. Um, I think the, the best uh, sort of uh, story in terms of marrying education and event is what we do with the global game jam each year. Mm -hmm. Um, Our New York uh, site is now the largest one in the U S and the third biggest in the world. And, uh, That is in large part because we have such a great connection with Microsoft. We provide the space all weekend. Um, We already have all that educational content in place. So we bring in a bunch of our instructors and have like free workshops throughout the weekend. Uh, We do prizes and really just make sure that, you know, um, even if you've never made a game before, then you can participate. You can be a part of the community at that global game jam. and. That really uh, is sort of the um, epitome of what playcrafting represents in all of our classes and courses and events. So providing, you know, where to go next from those classes and courses has been really crucial to us.
0: Well, speaking of where to go next, uh, Dan, obviously you're you're building this new uh, convention that's going to be happening in New York this year. But what's next for playcrafting? I mean, you're continuing to grow um, at just a fantastic and and slightly insane rate, um, what do the next few years look like for you and for PlayCrafting?
1: Sure, sure, so uh, I want to have regular classes and courses going in LA and Seattle. Um, That's our next target. We've done a couple of uh, one-off events in uh, LA and Seattle. Um, My goal from an organizational perspective is I'd like to have uh, at least one full-timer in each of these cities. Um, and I think that, you know, I'd rather focus on building out and growing our communities in, uh, those two new areas, in addition to Boston, San Francisco, and New York, where we already are, uh, before we go elsewhere. Um, but there has been interest in, you know, branching out to other cities in the U.S. We've had interest from Austin has been a big one. Um, there's been interest from um, a couple from Orlando. There's been interest in Pittsburgh. Um, so thinking about you know adding a couple more cities and uh, helping to build up some more communities in the US. And then there's also been interest in some international places too, like London and Montreal and um, even some interest in China and Japan in the past so. Uh, I want to spend the next couple of years with playcrafting really strengthening and building our communities domestically so that we can then go to a couple international places too.
0: Well, Dan, when you are ready to really expand and come to the Midwest and come to Iowa, you let me know. All right. Will I, do. I can help that you out sounds with that. great. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Well, Dan, I don't want to keep you too much longer. Um, you've just been fantastic to talk to, but I just want to ask you a couple of larger scale questions before i send you on the way is that all right go for it all right let's do it so um you know obviously playcrafting is built around education and continuing to uh, provide resources for aspiring developers as you refer to them um actually as we refer to them on this show as <laughs> well uh nice yeah absolutely so um i guess my question to you is are you ever worried that there's going to be too many games and there's too many developers are we going to reach a critical mass where um they can't all be supported are we expanding too much
1: um i i'm not worried about that right now i think that the the real challenge is you know what i said before which was any anybody can make games but it takes a lot of practice and it's a lot harder to make good games um so I think that the real challenge right now is as uh, you know, the number of games being added to the App Store, to Steam, et cetera, has just exponentially grown, the, the real challenge has been you know, giving the spotlight and uh, showing off uh, games from independent developers that can't pay for ad space but have a really cool, well-done, functional game. Um, That's been, I think, the real challenge. Um, I do think that uh, you're probably... I feel like we'll probably start seeing some of these smaller companies merging together, uh, which I think will be pretty cool if we see some like smaller, successful indie studios and medium-sized ones merging together rather than just uh, the gigantic triple a studios like eating the smaller ones (laughs) um what what was that mobile game it was was it agario or slither.io that's it okay yeah Yeah, you should check it out that's that's what it reminds me of um when i like use that analogy um you're basically like a like a worm and you start as a tiny worm and you have to like eat the smaller worms so you can become bigger and bigger sure um i like the idea of smaller uh, groups and companies uh, joining together to form something bigger rather than something that's already giant, just subsuming something that's uh, that's a little bit smaller <laughs> and lesser known. Um, so I, I think that that's, that's something that I'd like to see and that we might start seeing. Um, I don't think we're going to get to a point where there's too many game developers um, because game development requires so many different, disciplines and so many different areas of expertise that's one thing that we really make sure is clear with all of our playcrafting education um you can be a coder just building websites etc and then you can learn how to code in a different language pretty easily and transfer those skills over you can be a ux ui designer uh for websites or for just broader apps and transfer those over to um to video games same for um artists and audio experts, et cetera. Um, games just require so many different disciplines that I think you're going to see more and more people making games, but I don't think that necessarily means that there's more and more people making games full time. Um, I think it's, it's more of just sort of using those skills in different places and seeing how people can easily pop in and out of working you know, in games and outside of games with those transferable skills.
0: Well, Dan, here's one last question for you, and it is about conventions because you have your first big convention coming up um, in just a couple of months now uh, with PlayCrafting, and that's Play NYC. The clock is It's ticking. coming up fast. Uh, <laughs> uh, you actually mentioned that before we started recording that, um, you know, you are just going all the time and you really wanted to get this interview in before things got really crazy, but it's still, you know, uh, what, uh, a month and a half, almost two months out?
1: Yeah, seven weeks. Yep.
0: Oh, is that it? God. Yeah. Wow. Well, uh, best of luck with that. But on the topic of conventions, you know, E three just ended. E three is one of the biggest conventions of the year. And E three did something different this year where they had um, you know, fans and gamers coming as opposed to just being the traditional kind of trade show and, and, and journalists um and, and media show uh put together. What are your thoughts on the current trend and the future standing of conventions, how do conventions fit into the future video game industry?
1: Yeah. So I, you know, I was at E3 and that was my third one in a row. And it was very clear that something was different because they had opened up 15,000 tickets to the public. Right. Um, I, I think it was very obvious to everybody there that it was way too clogged and a little bit, um, a little bit haphazard, especially on the first day. Uh, it seemed to have like ironed itself out by the end, but um, we're at a point now where you have content creators from all over the place. It's not just um, it's not just press outlets anymore. You have streamers, you have podcasts, you have um, places all over the place that are, and people that are making content and getting the word out there about games and announcements and um, showing live footage and debuting things uh, without being these sort of established um, places that are like go-to news sources. So uh, seeing how uh, conventions have sort of helped bring the power back to the player has been really encouraging and exciting. I think that uh, we're in like a little bit of an in-between phase here where we're seeing like a, like some growing pains where the industry is trying to adapt to this new form of, uh, content and, um, those creators, uh, ultimately maybe that means that there will be, you know, the press only events might only be like small things now. Um, since it's all about you know everything's digital and everything can be released online and that's where most people get their information now so um you know look at the nintendo direct a lot of people said that nintendo 1e3 i agree and (laughs) um and i'm also just like a nintendo fanboy so it's hard for me not to agree but um but they did that without having a full press conference on stage they just went right into people's computer screens and mobile devices with the with, with a short 25 minute video. Um, so I, I think that uh, I, I feel like more people more companies will probably adapt that kind of mentality um, and adapt that kind of strategy and conventions will you know you go to a convention and you see PewDiePie and Markiplier like they're rock stars there because those are places that those, those are sources that like a lot of the general gamers especially really young gamers that are in middle school and high school um, are finding connection and are getting their news about games and are you know seeing what games are like. Um, so I think we're in like a little bit of a growing process and there's gonna be some uh, adapt- adaptation on the behalf of these like larger institutions and these larger companies. Um, and conventions sort of are a place where That like proving ground can be tested out on both sides, but in the end are really just all about the player Um, and putting the power into the player's hands because that's ultimately who matters most uh, when it comes to making games. Is it fun? Uh, Can it sell? Frankly, you know, um, that's all determined by the people that are playing it. And so why have barriers to getting it into their hands?
0: I like it, Dan. You're a very intelligent guy. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Um, just as a quick side note before we get to the end of the show, um, you mentioned you're a Nintendo fanboy. I I also have grown up loving Nintendo. Um, while we've been nice. recording this, and this morning Nintendo announced the Super Nintendo Classic, the SNES Mini.
1: Yes, nice. I didn't it know that. It just <laughs> popped up on my phone
0: while we were talking, um, and it looks awesome, so I just wanted to
1: I hope I can get one. Right. Well, yeah,
0: hopefully there was a major shortage with the um, NES Mini this past winter. Um, I did get one. Yeah. I got one. I'm very happy about that. Um, nice. But I had to geek out with you just for a second since you mentioned uh, your love of Nintendo. So uh,
1: That's awesome. And I'm, like, so stoked for the uh, the Zelda DLC coming out on Friday.
0: Uh, Breath of the Wild is my game of the year. I've been addicted to it. So. Oh, yeah. It's, it's so by it, far. It's, when
1: I... When I made that like exhaustive list of every game I've ever played, the top 10, I think five of them are Zelda games. So <laughs> of course I'm pretty committed as a, as a and, and Skyward Sword, Skyward Sword is like, like I think it's at number two. So, um, that's been pretty controversial to some people, but I absolutely love that it, game. It gets so. a lot of hate.
0: I loved it too. Um, yeah. and I love Twilight Princess. That's probably my favorite Zelda besides Breath of the Wild now um and that that was controversial too because people have turned on that over the years it's okay it's all right um
1: yeah there's a lot there's a lot of haters that if you don't choose ocarina or uh wind waker then it's like blasphemy (laughs) (laughs) all
0: right dan well i want to let you go so you can go google the super nintendo classic edition that's gonna happen right now Uh, (laughs) but before you do that let me ask you what I ask all of my guests, which is, of course, at the end of every show, I ask my guests to share a piece of advice, uh, something that's been true for you, something that's really resonated with you, or helped you um, through your experiences. Is there anything you want to share with the aspiring developers out there before uh, before you head out today?
1: Yeah, uh, failure should be a drive to keep going forward.
0: All right. I'll leave. I'll leave it at nice. that. Nice, short, and simple, and sweet uh dan Butchko, ceo of playcrafting thank you so much for coming on the show and chatting with me today um you've been fantastic i've really had a lot of fun talking with you so thank you so much
1: thanks so much for your time it was great talking let's talk anytime anything zelda anything nintendo (laughs) any anything conventions like let's talk i love it we'll stay in touch
0: um and and dan you kind of mentioned it a little bit but if people want to follow you, have really enjoyed talking to, uh, me talking to you and want to just follow more of your work, how do they find you out on those interwebs and, and maybe on social media?
1: Sure, sure. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. It's just at Dan So D-A-N-B-U-T-C-H-K-O. Uh, and again, check out playcrafting.com and play-nyc.com for everything on our regular playcrafting events in education and uh, the upcoming convention.
0: That's awesome. I love it. All right. Thank you, Dan, so much. Um, go check out some Nintendo stuff today. All right? Awesome. <laughs> Thank you for joining us this week. Again, if you have thoughts, questions, or ideas you'd like to share, you can email me at logan at blackshellmedia.com. or reach out on Twitter at Logan A. Schultz. That's L-O-G-A-N-A-S-C-H-U-L-T-Z. This podcast is presented by Blackshell Media, a publishing and marketing firm dedicated to helping independent video game developers reach massive audiences, publish financially successful titles, and turn game development into a career. It's the company's mission to help game developers get more of what they want out of a rewarding opportunity in the game industry, more fans, and sustainable revenue to keep them moving forward. Blackshell Media also has an educational branch to their company, where they offer free articles and resources for aspiring and growing developers. Which is why we get to bring this show to you every single week. You can find Black show Media on the web at blackshowmedia.com and on Twitter at blackshowmedia. This show is on iTunes, Google Play, and other podcast services across the web, as well as the Black show Media blog. If you enjoy what we're doing here and want us to keep doing it, or if you have things you'd like us to change, please go to your favorite podcast provider and leave us a review so that we can keep sharing these episodes each week with you. Special thanks this week goes out to Raghav Mather, Daniel Doane and Raquel Hayner, as well as Benjamin Tiso over at BenSound.com for the use of his song "Going Higher." I'm Logan Schultz, and you've been listening to Indie Insider. We'll see you next week.